This morning's message, as I said, comes from the 57th chapter, Isaiah, the 15th verse. It's entitled, Not Able to Put Humpty Back Together Again. Not Able to Put Humpty Back Together Again. You know, sometimes you look at things and the simplicity of things in life and that story about Humpty Dumpty, where, where does it come from, that fairy tale about Humpty Dumpty? Some people say it was an egg. Some people say other different things. It goes deeper in researching it. But we look at it as our lives. Yes. As our lives being proud and arrogant. But it must be a life that's broken if it's going to mean anything. To whereas God, we realize that God's the only one that can put that life back together of any significance and come to a realization of just what has occurred and what is occurring. 57th chapter in the 15th verse reads, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high place, the high, high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Kind of where the word revival comes from. To revive, to make live again. A regeneration that occurs. And that regeneration that occurs. Paul said that he was alive once without the law. Sin entered in. And sin is what captures us. Sin is what the condemnation that we operate up under. And until we realize that we are vile, sinful creatures destined to return back to the dust and ashes from which we came. From dust to dust, we shall return to dust. In other words, that dust to dust is a life from beginning to end. All that in between is wood, stubble, and hay, something that will be judged in that day. That awful day, that day of death, because his words state the soul, the soul that sent it, it shall die. And we know that none of us are without sin. None of us without sin. So all of us, death and a doomed to condemnation to death for our sins. Not for Adam's sins, but for our sins. Until we realize we are sinful and evil and wicked creatures and Awful in that we just as some places in the Bible calls it that worm Jacob. We have to become cognizant of what we are, who we are, of our condition, yes. of our helplessness, that we can't help ourselves, we can't do anything, that without Christ we're nothing. Yes. Nothing. I went down with my son yesterday and some of the Things. I hope I can, I don't want to talk too much of his personal business, but I also want to see that there was an analogy in there that we can kind of use. If I can bring it along with this Humpty Dumpty, if I can bring it along with this great fall that God has to put back together, and I say it's our lives. And me and my wife got down and prayed together the other night. I said, honey, come on, let's just pray. And we held hands and kneeled there foot of the sofa and just kneel and pray that 
God would heal him and keep him and not take him away because he has something that's Hodgkin's lymphoma, something where it's a tumorous growth, a cancer that was growing in, and they had to eradicate that thing with chemotherapy, six to seven days of just hard chemotherapy to kill that cancer, to destroy it. And, you know, God sends calamities and he sends things in our lives that destroys us, that breaks us. And after that chemotherapy or whatever, yesterday was his birthday. First birthday. First day of life. First day of reckoning. Because they had to destroy that immune system, that system that carries, was carrying that cancerous growth. They had to destroy all that immune system within him. Without, without our immune system, uh, they call it autoimmune deficiency or things that happen that breaks down our immune system and it destroys without any immunities, any virus, any infection, anything comes in and it kills us. Yes. That's what happened. It totally destroys us. It causes all kinds of growth, uh, what, what you would call diseases and different things to set in. So, that chemotherapy destroyed everything that was in there, so he had to have a replacement. He had to have a new, a new system, a new environment, environment where something new can grow. And they had taken his bone marrow out the blood substance and cultured it and grew it over a two-week period or whatever. They reintroduced those cells back in his body yesterday. So it was from day one that they called it his birthday. Each year it would be a year, you know, and from day to day it's growing in a restoration. All of that which was there, the cancerous growth, everything that was in the blood, everything that was in that system has been destroyed by the chemicals. And now it's all new. All of that that was within is dead and gone. And as a new system introduced. Humpty Dumpty, whether it was military foes or whatever our Humpty Dumpty is or whoever it is, whether it be our pride, our self-centeredness, our covetousness, or whatever defect we have, God has to destroy that. He has to break us. He has to break that. It says when a man uh, realizes this and that evil spirit within a man is cast out, that when he leaves out, we have to put something back in. Yes, when we see that our sin, had, what it has caused, or what happened, and Brother David was that way. Brother David had committed a sin. He was a man after God's own heart, but he didn't realize how sinful he was. He went with Uriah's wife, and he caused her to become pregnant or whatever. That's where we get our reading Scripture from, because... For almost a year, David was without the fellowship of the true and living God. Yes. David had sinned and he was living a life. And Psalm 51 and 8, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness in the bones that thou have broken to rejoice again. Yes. He wanted to be able to rejoice and feel, you know, like he felt once before with God 
to feel alive because the fellowship had been broken. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. And that's how most of us have been living, as with a broken fellowship or with no fellowship with God. Our lives has been lived a life of the world and the things of the world. So there were happiness and joy, but it wasn't true happiness. It wasn't true joy because without God, there's no true happiness, no true joy. Our life is filled. So that word broken spirit means to be overwhelmed with sorrow. We have to be overcome with grief for our sins and our life. A contrite heart in that verse, he says, that's who you dwell with, those that has a broken heart or a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That word contrite means to be completely penitent, feeling remorse and affect by guilt, deeply regretful and wishing to atone for the sin that you've committed. That's why I say you have to be broken. God has to show you that everything in your life has been of a sinful nature, of a sinful worm. And you start to hate that old man who you were, once were. You begin to die for yourself because now God, and now that you have been broken, God has brought some calamity in your house. My first point there is that circumstances catastrophe and calamity, God has brought that into your life. Whether it's a devastating sickness as my son underwent or whatever, it was an adulterous relationship with David and Bathsheba. To some, gambling has destroyed, a financial loss has destroyed the life, or a relationship has destroyed the marriage, or some kind of family a disturbance has destroyed the peacefulness in the home between brother and a sister and a relationship, friends, or whatever it may be. And that broken spirit and a contrite heart is virtually the same thing. Yes. This is further that the spirit is used as an aspect of mind. In other words, it's a wide diversity of what causes this because sometimes a love affair goes wrong or goes right and when that person leaves or something happens you become very depressed you become withdrawn or you've overspent yourself bills and financial things have come against you and it, it had just stressed you out where you seem hopeful hopeless and you have to declare bankruptcy and don't, don't look like everything would come back together again. Yes. Now, yes. To, to, you, 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 that's why I say you declare bankruptcy because you're bankrupt. In other words, you don't have anything else to give. Somebody have to pull you out of this hole you dug. Somebody have to pull you out of this hole. You, you can't get out. That, that's why it's broken. It's, you see Humpty Dumpty was broken. It says all of King's horses... All the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. See, sometimes we can't put a broken marriage back together. Sometimes we can't put a separation of death back together. You lose a loved one, a spouse, and we were praying that uh, we wouldn't lose our son. I remember when my brother lost his son to cancer. He 
He was the short. He was talking the other day about every time that year come around that his daughter had called him and he, he still looks by and said, but only God can repair a hurt like that, a mental hurt, you know, something that's within the inner being that you didn't lost a spouse or a loved one, someone that you've been years with or whatever. Now the separation, they're no longer gone. You can't bring them back. You're in jail or something has happened. You murdered someone or something has came come about some calamitous situation, some catastrophic event, and it's nothing, nothing you can do. And they say time heals all wounds, uh, some old saying about time, but sometimes time doesn't do that. Only God can do that. Only God can make you smile again. David says, heal the bones that you have broken. In other words, this, we know David wasn't physically broken. His bones wasn't physically broken here or whatever. But, you know, that's kind of to put it in a poetic way to allow you to see how can you mend a broken bone or a broken heart, something within you where somebody has betrayed you. This is a devastation that you say, I'll never forgive. i never forget. I can't get over that. Only God can can do that. Only God can put you to where you get over those things. You get over that hump. Hump day, you know, hump, hump day, you know, Wednesday, they call it hump day. You need something to help you get over that hump. And without that, without God, we can't get over. Why is it that God crushes us? A lot of people say, well, God wouldn't do that. I don't think... God does those things. Sadly, walk away from them if they don't want to hear about God because, you know, you need God. And you don't know God if you don't say God or know that it is God that had did that. It was God. It, Satan doesn't do anything that God doesn't allow him. To. God, He's God's creature. He got, God has him on a chain. He has a job to do and he has a work to do for God. Sometimes he's not able or quite able to do that job unless God enables him to do that job in your life. He said, look, there's my servant Job. Have you considered Job? He's a perfect and upright man. Satan said, I can't get to him. I, I can't get to him. You got a border. You got a hedge up around him. He said, well, look, let me take down that hedge and you do what you want to to do to Job, and I'm going to show you. See, so God brought Satan in Job's life. God brought him there. God brings things in your life. You wonder why God doesn't stop that affliction from advancing further in your life or whatever. It's only to show you that you need God. You you, you have to have God. God may move parents or spouses or things out of your way, as the Williams brother used to sing, Lean on, you know, something to lean on. God don't want you to lean on your brothers and sisters. He don't want you to lean on your parents. He wants you to lean on him. Like I say, he has to be that rock. He has to be the one that you run to. He has to be that fortress because that's only one place of healing. And it requires repentance. It requires a recognition that, God, without you, I can do nothing. I can't do anything. And unless you build a house, I labor in vain because I can work and labor all through life. And 
I can lose my health. I can lose my sight. I can lose a, you, you know, even sometime you can lose an appetite. That's something as you get older, you lose your appetite. You can lose a lot of people, and you notice with science and on television and things how they say sometime insomnia visits older people. You you can't rest. Why do you wake up at two or three o'clock at night? Only God can give you. He says, "I give my beloved sleep." Only God can give you a good night's rest. That's why God wants you constantly looking to him all times. It says, with prayer and supplication, let your request be known unto God. So it's deep down in our heart or whatever it is, it has to be motivated. And I tell you, that person don't know God. And listen what God does. 2 Corinthians 7, chapter 10, verse, it says, Godless sorrow brings about repentance that leads us to salvation. It leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And whatever the situation, if it doesn't produce something vitally important that gets you closer to God, that to where you acknowledge God, he says, with the fruit of your lips, he says, verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is afar off, to him that is near, saith the Lord. I will heal him, but there's no rest to the weary. The wicked that are like the troubled seas, they're tossed and turned, and there's never any rest. They may get times a little break or two from here, but there's no rest to the weary, but he gives peace to his beloved. So we're looking for that peace that comes from God. And he says, the fruit of our lips giving praise. So uh, are you verbally, are you physically, are you mentally giving the assent to thanking God for everything that happens in your life? Is that, are you glorifying God? Does everybody know whatever you got? I, you know, something was missing yesterday. Something is missing now. Whenever I see a person that comes through, if they don't say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God. Each and every day, that should be upon our lips. Thanks to God for bringing us through that day. Thanks to God for bringing us through the circumstances of the situation. That's why God doing it because godless sorrow. In other words, looking back over your life, it brings back a repentance not to be repented of. In other words, you sorry you did that and the contrition is I see what I did wrong and I won't do that anymore. And I want to make penance to you. In other words, I want to do something to make that up, God. Because like I say, if you were broken, you can't vow to God that if you get me over this, I'll do that. You can't bargain with God. You don't have nothing to offer God. How can a beggar offer a rich man that has everything? A cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Everything in the earth, even the dust that we walk on, belongs to him. So how can we vow to God that I'll change my life? I'll do that. God doesn't get anything out of those things because every soul, he says, all of the souls are mine. They belong to him anyhow. Your very life belongs to God. So don't try to bargain with God. When me and my wife was praying, it was nothing that we could offer to God. Some people say, well, I go to church more. I give more. I do this and do that. That doesn't move God. 
a broken and contrite heart moves God and saying, in other words, God, I can't offer you anything. It's nothing I can do. I come to you with only hope in your son that he died to restore me and put me back in a relationship with you where I can inherit all things that I want to seek the kingdom of God. It's nothing I I have to offer you, God. I, I can't bargain with you. I'm just a beggar in need of your services. I'm in need of your help. I'm in need of you turning your a, a listening ear unto me. God says in the book of Isaiah, he says, I form the light, I create darkness, I make peace, and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Amplified says, I'm creating disaster. I'm causing peace. I do good. I do bad. So whatever happening, the first cause and the last cause, he says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. So God is forming the earth. He's recreating and creating, and he's calling a people, and the end result is salvation, making sons of God. He's redeeming his people so God does all things. So to those people that says God doesn't do evil, God doesn't do. If that pandemic came, if COVID came, whatever comes into your life, God allowed that it was ordained and authorized of God. It was to break you or make you. Let's look unto God that it is making us, making us sons of God. But until we stop blaming others, Blaming the situation and blaming circumstances and pointing the finger and start saying, Lord, it's not my brother, it's not my mother. It's me standing in need of prayer. It's me. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And he also blamed God. He said, it was the woman that you give it. No, no, no. God, I messed up. God, I did it again. I, I, I've, I've lusted, I, I've gambled, I've coveted. Lord God, I was in the wrong mind. I said the wrong thing. I need you to heal me. I need you to stop me from thinking that way. I need you to come into my life and give me a new heart. See, because that heart, that immune system is bad. It's faulty, God. I need you to write your laws upon my heart that I sin not against you, that you fill me with your joy and your peace because you say you're the prince of peace. You give everlasting peace and the joy you give it, no man can take it away from me. No matter what the circumstances in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the lines, then I can just sit right in the center of it because I know you're with me. You'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. You can toss me into the fiery furnace, but I won't bend and I won't bow to the circumstances of this world because I know that you're with me and all things work together for good. For those that love the Lord. In the book of Amos he says. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city. And the people be not afraid. In other words that trumpet is warning of danger. We see in the next chapter where it's the, pre- the prophet. The preacher have to come and blow that warning of danger. And warn with the gospel and say. Turn or burn. You all doomed to devastation. Jonah says rip. Pent for in 40 days, God shall destroy none of us. In other words, without the fear of God, we must fear and tremble at his word. 
That, that godly fear has to be in us. That, that's the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is the fear of the Lord. That's what's wrong with the world today. They don't tremble at God's word. God is just a man in the sky. God is a brother. God is a friend. He's all these things. And we don't reverence God the way we should reverence God. We use his name in vain. It's, 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 it's something. And Jesus says all those that name the name of Jesus, the name of God, should depart from iniquity. Should depart. And Amos, as he continues that saying, he says, as a trumpet blown in the city, warning of danger will the people not tremble. If a disaster or misfortune occurs in the city, hasn't the Lord done it? Has not the Lord done that? Shall there be even a sitting God hadn't done it? That's what he's done. He's breaking us. That's what he does to a, a wayward lamb. That lamb keeps straying from the flock and getting itself in trouble or whatever. He goes to that lamb and he breaks his leg. He breaks it so that he can't walk again. And during that time, the shepherd comes and what he does he puts a splint on that leg to that leg can start healing. He puts ointment in it. He feeds that lamb. He, he hand feeds that lamb. That lamb can't get up and eat. He, he hand feeds that lamb. He nurses that lamb. He puts that lamb across to his shoulder and he carries him around. He keeps everything else from around that lamb. During that time, that nurturing, the lamb sees that the Lord is, is his shepherd. That he didn't want for anything. And that relationship, that symbiotic relationship, you see, that's what we have to see, that we have a loving father. Just like we, when we were a child, we have a loving mother. That's why when you get in trouble or something happens to you, you usually curl up in that fetal position. They call it the fetal position because there was no safer place than, for you than was in your mother's womb. That she ate, she nourished, she carried you about. You was in a relationship with her just like that lamb was with the shepherd that nobody could get you. That the, the mother was feeding you, it was carrying you around within her. And that's what God does. He comes to dwell with us and live in us. We have to have that deep abiding relationship to the shepherd. And that's what he comes to do. He comes to restore that relationship. That, that's where the healing comes by his stripes. All of these things that we are healed. Yes, yes. You see, we, that, 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 that's necessary. You, so, you see why a brokenness would have to occur? I know, I'm sure that lamb didn't want his leg broken, but that stopped him from straying. You know, corporal punishment. That's why they say don't spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. Talking to them don't help sometimes. Sometimes you have to put the rod on them. As the shepherd puts that rod on the sheep sometimes. As the shepherd will use that rod as a weapon to destroy the wolves that come. God's word is a rod sometimes. The word will draw you or it will drive you. The word is your rod. That's the sword. You have to use that word. He sent his word to heal us. And that word has a healing effect. That's what heals that brokenness. Nothing else can heal you. God's word heals you. He sent the word to heal us. Yes. 
The anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. We're we're out of everything that can withhold us in this world. So that second point would be conviction. Conviction. First, the conviction of sin is when the Holy Spirit reveals a area of sin or pride or jealousy or selfishness in our lives in which we need to confess and repent of. We have that advocate with the Father. If we sin and confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us of our sin. See, but we have to realize, as the Alcoholic Anonymous said, you have to first admit you're alcoholic. You have to first admit you're a sinner. You have to admit you was did wrong. You have to admit, Lord, it's me in need of this. Discernment wasn't for somebody else. It was for me. It was showing me my waywardness. It was showing me my brokenness from your covenant. I've broken your covenant. I'm not in a position to inherit anything because I'm out of the will of God. I need you to place me back within. I need you to heal that which was broken. I can't fix it. Only you can fix it. You the fixer. Only you can give life. Only you can give a new start. God can start you over again. See, that's why I said my son had to be started over with a, that vessel had to be cleansed. But that vessel first has to be emptied. To put on Christ, we have to empty ourselves of self. Self is the, self is the enemy. His own body, I told you, our immune system has turned on itself. That's what happened with arthritis, and I have rheumatoid arthritis. That's an autoimmune deficiency where the body turns on itself. Sickle cell, it doesn't produce but flat blood cells, those carpuses, and they stickle together or whatever. But whatever happens in the body, we have to get rid of that old body. This body can't go into heaven. It says flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to have a new body. He said he's going to change our vile and incorruptible body into a Corrupt, incorruptible body, that corruptible body shall not inherit, he says, because it shall return to dust. He has to give us an incorruptible body. Yes. Now, now, once you do that, read Corinthians, he says, your body is no longer yours. Mm-hmm. You can't do with your body what you want to do. Forget what the women's movement, the feminists say, that it's their body, they can do what they want. No, that life in the womb, God formed that life in the womb. God is the only one that can form life. He's the only one with that authority over it. You can't sleep, uh, join the body of Christ to a harlot. You have to abstain from appearances of evil. You can't go where you want to go. You can't. You have to ask permission. It is God that leads you in the path of righteousness because he's making something. He's making you for a holy dwelling place of God to where he can dwell and make himself a home. You know, home is different from a house. While we were gone, something happened to, I don't know if my wife hadn't fastened the door completely or whatever. I normally check or she normally double checks, but we had left at the crack of dawn yesterday to go to New Orleans. And my daughter came by when she was going to the nursery to pick up her daughter uh, from daycare. And she stopped by the house and the door was open. The front door was open. 
And she said, Daddy, she called me in the office and said, Daddy, the door open and I'm scared to go in there or whatever, but I know y'all ain't there or whatever. And what's that door doing open? And she said, I say, well, Larry, she said, yeah, call Larry, see, can he go? I call my neighbor to see, can he go in to see? Because that place where we dwell, that place where we live could have been invaded. It could have been some force in there that needed to be cleansed out of there. I said, Larry's not home. He, I called him and he said, Reb, I'm not there, but, you know, I wish I was there. I, I just, can she wait a minute? I'll be there. I said, well, just, I said, well, okay, Larry, but she had to go and pick up her daughter. So I said, honey, just close the door. She was on FaceTime. And I said, just pull the door together. Close the door and leave. I'm there in New Orleans and thinking if someone invaded my space and invaded the body that I live in, the place where I dwell. I called my nephew, Sean, and I asked him to go over. I said, there's a key hidden back here, whatever, go in the house and check and see if something's, I, you know, that don't need to be there. That's why I say you have to keep a relationship with your relatives and your people. God's showing us that we need family. There's nothing I ever asked him that he wouldn't do. That's why it breaks my heart. It, it hurts me that he's not sitting here this morning. Hearing the word of God. Mm-hmm. Remember Paul said he wished himself a curse from Christ. Yes. It's only God can work that out. It's a sweet young man with a heart, with a good. See, but that heart still has to be broken until where it conforms to God's will. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, you see why we don't, we can't condemn the world or whatever because I'm in New Orleans and there he is. Called me within the house looking around and looking. He said, everything's all clear. And he closed the door and left out. Mm. So if we, we want God to dwell within us. Yes. We can't just make an observation from way out, from way off. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. God came down in the guise of angels. You remember he says, I'll go down there and see whether it's the way it, it, it says he came down and he talked with Abraham and told Abraham what he was about to do. But he came down to Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels tried to go with them. I mean, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to have a relationship with them. But you see where God had to go into the home? He had to go down in Sodom and Gomorrah. God has to come into our body and cleanse it. He sanctifies it. So every sin, that's why repentance and confession, all of this is an ongoing process because he keeps you repenting and keeps you turning because the more he shows you, the deeper he goes, the more you see how broken you really were, how contaminated your body was, how much wretchedness lies within us. So the Holy Ghost comes in and convicts us. John 8, 16th chapter, 8 through 11 verses says, And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin. He will, uh, that is guilt, the need of a Savior, and about righteousness and judgment, and about sin, the true nature of sin, because they don't believe the message of God. But see, before he can do all of that, when you come in and when you allow the word to come in and shine as a light within your body, you start seeing all manner of sin. 
You start seeing all manner of things. When remodeling a home, the, the builder gives you a price to remodel that home, but he says cost plus. Because when he starts demolishing the walls and start moving things around, he's going to see other things that wasn't, wasn't on the surface. You couldn't see it from the surface. See, we can't see ourselves. There's a lot of people from the outside. It looks like a good couple. It looks like they have a house, but a home, but they just have a house. They're fighting like cats and dogs in there. Their finances are torn apart. The children are disrespectful. They got all kinds of pains and woes. It's only to when you get inside and shine the fine light. It's like the wheels of justice. They may roll, grind slow, but they grind fine. He's going to search with lights in every crook and cranny. My nephew went in and he searched the house. My daughter couldn't do it from outside. She was right. The psalm, the alone, the psalm, the gospel, something is wrong within. Something shouldn't be. But she wasn't the person to do it. Just as the preachers preach the word of God, preach the gospel, but then the spirit comes into our lives and it shines the light. That's the family of God. That's why we have family. That's why we have relationships what one can do, the other one can. It's extension of who we are. Families are extension of who we are. But if the family is broken, as the home is broken, it can't operate the way it should. And so as we allow the spirit to come in and look around, we start, that spirit's charge to show us all kinds of sin, things that we didn't even know were sins, but we wasn't strong enough. Jesus says, I have much to tell you, but you're not able to receive it now. See, before you clean a fish, you have to catch that fish. Yes. You know, outside the church, I've told you about some people say, well, I can't tie, they can't do this or whatever. And it seems like an impossibility. But when you get inside, the house is bigger than it looked at outside. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Those same people that say they couldn't tithe, they're the most faithful tithers we have in the church today. They give and they do all of these things and they don't have want. David says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. His seed begging for bread. The righteous is not abandoned. You ha- they have money to put on pleasures and things that they can do. God sees that so that you thought was impossible is possible with God. You have to come inside. Asap says, I had almost slipped until I went into the sanctuary. You almost live like those outside in the world until you come into the house of God and you see that God is an enabler. He enables you to do that, which he tells you to do. God's not going to tell you to do something that he don't enable you to do. But see, you're broken without him. You can't do you can't put that back together. You can't put your family or your home back together. That third and last point is contrition. According to the International Bible Encyclopedia, a contrite heart is one in which the natural pride and self sufficiency have been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt. In other words, God has to break you to the point, as Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
that he wanted. He says, is there any other way to let this cup pass from me? But he says, not my will, but thy will. I was noticing in that word Humpty, in that word lies H-U-M. It's the beginning of humility. Pride goeth before fall. But if 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 before we fall off that wall, if we humble ourselves, yes. if we have humility, if Humpty would just humble himself and pray, God will hear those prayers and heal. See the humble, that humbling. That that's what we have to do. Get away from self sufficiency. Get away from that American way that they say is pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It takes a village, as Hillary Clinton says, to raise a child. Mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my neighbors the other day at the store. She's about 90 years old, she said. And she was saying the community is not the same as it was. It's not like it was. And we were talking about it because, you know, you notice that old people that are contrite, in other words, that God dwells with because the actual meaning of that Hebrew and Greek from that word means crushed, mm-hmm. crippled, or broken. That's the, what contrite means. Remember Jacob wrestling with the angel yes. and it broke his hip out of place and he was with a limb. God breaks us and the neighborhood not the same or whatever it was or whatever. And I was rushing to and fro Thursday trying to get things in order to go down to New Orleans Friday. And some kind of way or another, I missed my pocket. <laughs> I was at the cash register or whatever, and I put my wallet back in my, was putting my wallet as I've done all of my life back into my back left pocket. And it missed the pocket. And I didn't realize it talking or doing something or whatever. I came out of the store and, Driving out of the parking lot, and I was felt to get back to get my wallet. I thought I had my wallet there with me. I was getting ready to go fill up the car with gas to get my card out while I was in the parking lot or whatever. I didn't feel my wallet, and I say, uh, "Man, where my wallet?" <laughs> and I jumped out. I turned the car around and jumped out and ran back in the store looking for my wallet. And I asked the cashier, "Had she seen my wallet?" And I was so distraught. I was so, I was coming apart. So I, I got back in the car, called my daughter about my cards and things. And I said, well, how we like, and I was going to lock the lock. And, and that's technology is great, you know. So I called while she was on the phone. I locked my cash app cards, you know. You gave my call, you know, I, on the phone there, locked my debit card, locked those cards up, you know, with the touch of a button. I done lost that wallet. Now, you know, I say with a little money in there, they could have the wallet. But I need my ID. I need my driver's license. I need all the trouble and the pain of going through all that stuff or whatever. And I'm just looking and rounding around out there in that parking lot. Uh, my wife called and neighbor down on the other side of the street, he got 80 years old. He told me, you're a pup boy. You ain't but 60-something, 67 years. He's 80-something years old. He said, well, look, how long before you come on? I say, I'm, I can't right now. He said, I'm looking for something. What you looking for? He said, 
told me, because he had told my wife, I got something for your husband or whatever. He had found my wallet. He was at my house with my wallet. You see how all things work together? If God's with you, and I was almost so panicked then, but God has a calming effect. I took the few dollars and gave it. I said, you could have the money that's in the wallet. <laughs> he said, no, I, I'm not going to take no money from you or whatever. But you see, it's good. I, I kind of almost believe in a cashless society because I don't carry much cash in my wallet because of the cards. Now most places don't take cash anyhow. So, so that contrition, that brokenness, that... Lord, you have your way, you know. Once you give up and turn it over to the Lord, give up these things. When a contrite heart gets modified, the picture of a conscience crushed in its own gift after laboring all these years and say, okay, God, you win. God's going to twist your arm. He's going to make you say uncle. He's going to make you say uncle. And after you say uncle, it lines up. When a human spirit stopped justifying its wrong choices, it awakened to the depths of its depravity. I'm, I'm not going to gamble anymore because I can't make back up whether I lost or whatever. I'm going to stop coveting. Uh, this is my fault. Uh, it, it wakes to the depth. It starts showing you everything that you're doing and which, where you're making excuses from and covering up. That, that's what God's looking for. God's looking for no excuse, no blame shifting. I fully agree with God that I can't do anything without him and how evil I am and how evil things. I can't do it without you. I'm broken to the point that I need God. I need you when you I wake up. I say thank you, Lord, for waking me this morning. I thank you, Lord, for... You know, as you get older, a lot of people... Older people don't get in to that, but I thank you that I'm able to get in and out of the bathtub. I'm able, thank you, Lord, for having a, somebody invent that chair, that stool that sits in the bathtub where I can get in and out because that helps you to stay mobile. Yeah. They tell a lot of older people that that's invigorating. A shower, a bath is invigorating, and you sit that chair in there and just let the water run over you. You feel better when you're clean. You feel better when you get out of the shower or the tub or whatever. But then just that small minor movement is like going to therapy, physical therapy. The little things they do in physical therapy seem insignificant, but you'll be surprised at what it does to you physically and how it reestablishes you. The little things in our life, God comes into the body and it makes it right with us. And I got one more point. It was four points in this lesson this morning. And that is our confession. They say confession is good for the soul. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. He's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as he's cleansing us like that washing machine, he's going to show us where the dirt's at. That's what the church is for. Is to present us without a spot or wrinkle. If we don't get upset with the preacher telling us that we're in sin, if we don't get upset when he has to declare the whole word of God, I have to talk about it all. It says, the Amplified has a better word than it says, 
and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually. In other words, it's always acting to show you everything. Repentance is a daily thing because we sin daily. If we say we have no sin, we lie against the word of God. We lie against God. So we begin to see what sinful and vile creatures we are. And we ask God to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the sins of my youth. You start thinking back. You remember I told you he gives you a consciousness and he brings former things to remembrances? You know, I remember the times that I used to use my brother's old 65 Chevrolet to go to work to over at Southern University campus. I remember everything. I start remembering a lot of things that we were younger coming up, and I repent of them. I, I'm sorry I said that I did this. I remember as my older brother Eli was getting older, a lot of things we said or did or whatever. All of those memories, all of the things in life make us who we are. But I also remember Mr. Prather, Dr. Lewis or whatever, all those things when I stayed way back in the country on Carrie Road, some of the deeds we've done, some of the fields we may have stolen out of, you know, the, the watermelons you've stole from your grandparents or whoever when you were young. You remember all past transgressions. Those people are no longer here or whatever, but you repent to God and say, I'm sorry for these things. It's like deja vu. He brings all things back into things. Yes. You say, if I didn't knew this when I was young, it helps you the sins of my age, the sins of my soul, the sins of my body, my idle sins, just the little words I said in conversation with somebody. You know, now I see that that was a form of gossip or backbiting and I'm sorry I acknowledged that I didn't stop that person in their tracks when they were telling me this. I'm sorry that I, I may have been complicit in helping somebody do this or that. It brings all things to remembrance and you start looking at your life and you know, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I think about some time when you and I were growing up, you remember we was what, 12, 13 years old or something that some of the things I might have said or did or whatever, because I remember your parents were like my mother was, kind of strict on some things or whatever, and some things I said or whatever. And, and, I, and I, I said, you know, brother, I'm, I'm sorry I said this or did that. Because of all the things that's in your mind, God's turning those things up, and he's making you anew because confession is good for the soul. A reparation, a, a, a restoring, and a sorry for who you once were. That's what Paul was. He was sorry for who he once was because he used to persecute the church. He was there when they stoned Stephen. When they put Stephen to death, he was holding the coats. Of all the time that I was with those that I sit in the seat of the scorn of the people that I teased when I was at Scotlandville or Chaneville or some of the places where I teased or said this, some of the times when I might have wasted food that my mother was young and working two and three jobs at a time. She'd have to catch the bus and go out to Miss David's house in Sherwood Forest and 
come back. She was working at nighttime at Motel Mets or the Continental Motel or whatever. And I'm sorry for the times I maybe didn't wash the dishes or do something to help her. I might have said something or wasted something. Uh, remember the typewriter she had bought me of the football games and things. And I'm grateful and I always praise and thanks God. He says, you make your lips full of praise and I thank God for the parents. I thank God for the things you, we did have. The situations. See, God wants us to be creatures that think, that are not so involved in the things of this world or whatever, but that we put those things were behind and we see how bad we were. And that confession that we moves on. And I say, forgive me of the concealed sins, of the things that presumptuous sins that I had, and also those that I didn't know I had committed. You know, sometimes we've we may have closed the door, did something, and didn't know we were doing it. I'm sorry I hurt this person. I'm sorry if what I did hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. So how do we conclude that? How can we conclude this? Because it's, it's nothing that we can do to cleanse us. And God says his word that he, his blood would cleanse us that we'll be white as snow. So and if we repent, he says, if we would turn to him, his repentance is unto salvation. In other words, we keep turning to God and remorselessly with a contrite heart. We're sorry for our sins and penitently we're trying to do things knowing that we'll never be able to repay God for what he's done for us. But can I, can I represent who he was? In other words, can I live a life that abstains from appearances? Can I live a life that glorifies God? That's what I ask him. Through Christ, I can do all things to him who strengthens me. That the Spirit put a guard over my mouth and that I says things that's fruitful praise unto him that brings glory to God. We have a to be in a condition where we realize only he can mend that heart, as I said. Only God can put Humpty back together again. Only God can make us feel the way we should. All the men and people and things in the world, all the money in the world cannot restore us from what we've lost. You know, Job lost his children. God gave him that same amount of children, but how do you replace a wife or a husband that you've been with hundreds of, you know, hundreds of hours that, that you could remember the television programs you sit there, you could remember going by this old truck or the cars we had, you know, my, me and my wife with the different cars and the situation with the children. Those moments in that time, only God can help you live it because like I said, God can cure dementia and Alzheimer's. He can give you those memories and create a joy that when your kids were young, you know, because you had variance with them as you're older, and now he can remember when you was a boy, I was doing this. I remember when the family was happy. He can give us a sound mind. He says those things that gives us a sound mind. He can rest restore those things. He Dementia and all those illnesses and sicknesses, things that he allowed to come up on wicked man, but he can give us eternal life. That's something we lost that nobody can give us but God. He said, 
those that believe on me at, as the scripture has said. Yes. Well, out of our mouths, the fruit of our lips, we can spread forth. Out of us will flow rivers of living water. We can cause others to live again. We can be vessels where God can live through us and help restore others. A life lived. And Humpty Dumpty, I said, in a child's, a child's nursery run, is a valuable lesson for children and grown-ups too, meaning something you break or lose and things, no matter what, uh, how hard you or anyone else tries, that thing can never be brought back or repaired. Not even all the king's horses and all the king's men. If you've shot someone or killed someone, a lot of people are in jail or whatever, and they be converted and become Christians, and uh, they said they think they should be out because they're a changed person. No, but you still have the consequences of what you've done. See, but only God can remove that and give you a new life. Only God can bring back to life that was dead. So we know that in this life, that God can give us a clear conscience, remove all guilt, but some of the rewards and blessings are on the other side. I'll be able to see my mama again. I'll be able to see her again. The times we was on Carry Road and she was running around playing kickball with us and all of the times we went and did different things together, my brothers and sisters, the, the life we live, God can give us all that back because all of it was prior to then was God showing us that we wasn't grateful or happy for what he gave us and how we treated that, that God had given us. We broke it, and it was us that broke the relationship. Just like Adam broke the relationship with God, we broke the relationship with our brethren and sister and in the things of the world. It's us. Yes. But the God that we serve, he can restore that. A new heaven and a new earth. All the former things, those things that wicked at the eve, you won't remember those things. He'll wipe away all tears. Amen. It'll be better by and by. Only God promises those things. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you, Lord God. We ask you to mend that, Lord God, and we come unto you, Lord God, for a restoration, Lord God. For we know a messed up life down here, the life that we've given, you've given us, Lord God. We've messed up, Lord God. But you said if we would turn to you, Lord God, if we would walk in your way and humble ourselves, Lord God, that you and the Son would come in and dwell with us, Lord God. That your spirit would rebirth us, Lord God, to the bones that you've broken, Lord God. The joy that we and peace that we could have, Lord God, we will have in you, Lord God. For nothing is too hard for you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.